Everybody, welcome to another well-scripted, highly organized, efficient, and thorough recording of Adventures in DevOps. I kind of lost my place there for a minute. Um, yeah, let's get into this. Joining me in the studio, Jonathan Hall. Hey, hey. Jillian Rowe. Hello. And our special guest today, Victor. Welcome. The oh, YouTube you extraordinaire me. and all-around DevOps expert. Tell us a little bit about your background. My background is mostly around being extremely lazy. (laughs) You're speaking my language here, Victor. Carry on. Yeah. So uh, since early days of my career, I simply, I had very clear what are the things I do and what are the things I don't want to do. The latter list was always much bigger than the former. <laughs> so I did my best to to remove myself from equation. Kind of, oh, testing is boring. Let's automate that stuff. Uh, building, uh, deploying and stuff like that. And I'm talking pre-Jenkins era. Yeah, let's, let's, let's remove that. Let's remove me from that as well and so on and so forth. So to me, most of my career was trying to avoid to do the things I don't want to do. And that's usually automation of some sort. I think that's common for a lot of us is I, I just had this conversation the other day where I was telling my my boss, my goal here is to automate everything to the point where you question why you're paying me. And mm-hmm. when I hit that, I'll be pretty happy. The part I disagree is when you said common. I don't think it's common. What I think it's common is to spend 20 years learning DB2, become such an expert that nobody can replace you because you're the only one who knows it and then reject any attempt to switch to anything else. Yeah, that's that's a good point. There are quite a few people in that category and to just to me personally, that's that's like the worst case sentence. <laughs> you know, the, the category says, I climbed the company ladder that I became a principal or something like that in something that pays me very well in that company but his zero value outside, right? <laughs> and then that I need to make sure though. that that continues. Like you're giving me heart palpitations just saying that personally. But um, every, you know, clearly everybody should do what they want to do. That's not uh, that's not advice. That just sounds scary to me. <laughs> I I have often said that the best developers are the laziest developers. Because the whole idea of I mean. <clears throat> This shouldn't be controversial either because we exist in an, the entire industry exists to automate things. That's the whole, and that's the entire reason we exist. There's no other reason for computers to even have been invented. It's to automate things. So, so the idea that this seems controversial to some people, I think is baffling. <laughs> yep. But it's still kind of reality. I mean, go to any big enterprise company and if you stay there for more than a couple of days, there's something wrong with you. (laughs) (laughs) So Victor, you have a very popular YouTube channel where you talk about the, I know I've seen quite a few of your videos and I've watched the, the more technical oriented one. 
what kind of um what kind of videos are you interested in and put out and what's the what's the work you've done on YouTube that you really are proud of so I like technical everything right uh, I'm not very fond of hey let's talk about uh, this or that for hours and sing kumbaya while doing that right I, I feel that <laughs> I feel that everything we do should be backed by something as a proof, right? I need to show you something in action if I'm going to, even if it's conceptual, like, right, okay, let's talk about CICD or whatever it is. Even if it's conceptual, I need to show you some code to kind of almost to put credibility kind of, yeah, this is not me uh, inventing random stuff. This is actually working, right? So it's highly technical content, I think. Uh, not necessarily more more aimed towards more senior people than you know uh, uh, juniors recently graduated, and I definitely wouldn't say highly popular. You know, you're popular in YouTube when you have millions so million subscribers. I'm 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 not even close. <laughs> All right, what well, just for context for our listeners and and mostly for me, what is your YouTube channel? How do we find it? Uh, DevOps Toolkit. It will be the first result, almost certainly. Is that and, your primary so, job, or is that just a no, 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 side no, 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 no? I mean, do I, do I look like I'm starving? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> look For at our listeners who can't see. Uh, <laughs> he does not look like he's starving. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, no. The, that, that's a hobby, right? My my job is I work in upbound. Uh, I I do stuff there. My Right now, my primary primary project is crossplane, so that that's a job. That's what brings uh, income. That that what what's put food on the table. YouTube is just hobby, right? And uh, in big part, I mean, I, I've been changing the 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 formats of what they do. Sometimes the past was more writing, now it's more video. But I think that the main motivation behind the hobby, so definitely not income, was that I was kind of disappointed most of the time when reading or watching something, you know, whenever there is some comparison or opinion, it always ends up with, it all depends. Okay, so let me talk about Jenkins and CircleCI and Travis and uh, Argo Workflows and it concludes with it depends. It doesn't. Grow a spine. Kind of say what you think. Doesn't matter whether <laughs> people are going to be offended or not. This is horrible, right? Or this is great. Or this is, uh, you know, and I feel that Many, many people that do things in public are always afraid to, to give opinion or either because they don't have it or because they're afraid to uh, offend somebody and I want to do something different. I, I see that all the time. You know, I, I was recently having a chat on LinkedIn about uh, trunk-based development versus Gitflow. <clears throat> and the, the, the person who made the main post is trying to like find a middle ground between these two. I'm like, there is no middle ground between these two. They're, they're polar opposites of each other. Uh, and have a spine, stand up, you know, have an opinion and, and be wrong if you want, but have an opinion. Don't try to yeah. be this like politically correct. Well, you know, whatever you want, as long as, you know, as long as everybody's happy and the flowers are, are, are growing. No, pick one. Exactly. They're, you can't mix them. And that does not mean that everybody should agree with that and that, that that's the best solution for everybody. It's not. But kind of pick one. Exactly. Yeah. I like to tell people, pick a struggle. Like, it doesn't matter which one. There's always going to be problems. So you may as well you know, just just pick the one, pick the problem, I guess is the way to put it. Sun Tzu DevOps, pick your battle. 
the art of war. No, I do that a lot. I, there's um quite a few videos I've done um where it's a an it depends answer, but then I try to follow up like it depends, and here are the factors that will push you this way, and here are the factors that will push you that way, so that by the end they've got a, a path to choose based on their their scenario. Very often, when I end with something, it depends. Uh, the The rest of the sentence it depends in which century century you live. <laughs> still in twentieth century, then this is good. It's good, yeah. Use it, right? Now, when you arrive to the same century, then may, maybe it won't be so good. So I, I'm curious. I, I, I do think there's a place for it depends answers, and, and usually the place is the person hasn't asked a clear question, or they don't even know what they're trying to do yet. You know, the, you know what, what problem are you trying to solve? But so you know, I, I do think there's a place for it depends, uh, and I, I think we're maybe we're in danger of conflating two things here uh, in this conversation. So, Victor, I'm curious. Like, if I ask you, what's the best language to write my code in? How, how do you answer that? So, see there, you just you just said it depends in different words, right? <laughs> yes, but kind of, I, I will give you the answer. What is the best language, right? But uh, before I give that answer, I'm going to set the scene, right? Okay. Okay. So, we're doing this. These are the constraints. This is this is what we're trying to accomplish. So on and so forth. And in that case, Go is the best language. Right. I mean, so, I'm just picking a random one now, okay. right? Go is the best uh, language, obviously, but oh, uh, <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course. But I, I think but, you, I think you made my point for me. You know, that, 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 yeah, once we've clarified what we're actually asking, then yeah, have an opinion. But you need to be exactly. clear. You, you can't just say what's the best language. Well, Java, obviously. I mean, you, you need to you need to you need to know what the question is and what's the best language isn't the proper question. <laughs> Exactly. But to me, you know, when the conversation starts without or ends without setting the scene, without explaining the constraints of, of what we are discussing, then anything is equally valid or invalid. Yeah, you right. can you can give me anything you want. It, you can give me depends, you can give me opinion, doesn't matter because I still don't know what you're talking about, right? Exactly. But it's go. Obviously. <laughs> no, no doubt. Shameless self-promotion, hashtag boldly go on YouTube. Wait, you have a YouTube channel on Boldly Go? I do, I do. <laughs> oh my god, that's fantastic! It's a, it's the best language you could possibly learn for anything. <laughs> not Anytime, true. anywhere. Not what about for bioinformatics, Jonathan? What about what? Bioinformatics. It's definitely the best. We just, oh my gosh, we just did an amazing interview at the Cup of Go podcast this last week about hacking DNA in Go. I'll send you a link later. Jillian, and we'll oh, put it in the show fun. notes too. All right, I do want to hear about that. <laughs> I'm so surprised that we are already what like ten minutes in, into this, and nobody <laughs> mentioned AI. This doesn't happen very often. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Speaking of blockchain, well, you know, is AI going to take over our jobs? What about six months from now? Will it take over my job then? Um, yeah, the, the person using it will. Yes, right. Yeah, the person. <laughs> That's true. The person, the person who knows how to use the best tools for the best jobs, the best, generally exactly. wins. Which is why you will take PyCharm from like my cold dead hands. You know, like should I use VS Code? No, you should use PyCharm. All right, that's that's my opinion for the show. <laughs> okay, we're going to have fight afterwards. Oh really? Okay. <laughs> why why wait till afterwards? Let's do it right now. Right now. Yeah, I want to see exactly. those. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you said you you, you mentioned PyCharm. 
Pi uh, Charm, which I guess is IntelliJ, right? Yeah. Yeah, you, you mentioned IntelliJ and Python in the same sentence. Come on. No, but the, the PyCharm IDE is, is for Python. It has like all these nice like scientific views. If you're viewing, uh, you know, like data frames or matrices, it has all the... But I don't use Python want, because like I use the best language. And... <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> but does it have data frames, Jonathan? Yes. Does it have data frames? Can yes. you like... It does because do I use Apache Arrow. Excel sheet? Oh, okay. All right. You know what? That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. All right. I use Arrow too, so I guess I guess I have like. See, no, we're we're already speaking like the same language. Down. Now you just need to switch to the best language, and we'll be good to go. Um, I don't know. I mean, then I'd probably <laughs> switch to like C plus plus because that's that's where I go when I'm like I'm sick of Python. I need this to actually run. You know, this century. Uh, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go to C plus plus now, but maybe Go should be that. Maybe it should. It definitely. So I, I haven't used Python in many years. Is is the debate between Python two and three still going, or that's resolved? No, that's dead. Um, no, it broke my most recent uh, Debian upgrade. Like I don't remember what it was, but some, something was it recently like broke. Or something. I was using Pydantic something that Python a couple weeks ago. I was using was... something that still depended on Python two, and which was which had been removed. I don't remember what it was. It was something minor, but it's it's still painful. Well, it's only been 10 years there. since they deprecated Python two. We got to give it time yeah. to work its way out that's, of the that's system. Right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I wonder if they ever come out with Perl 6. I wonder how long it'll take for Perl 5 to be. Like, I don't think Perl 5 will ever be deprecated. Perl 6 came out. It is out. Oh, yeah, right. It, it well, was renamed to Raku, and now Perl 7 is in the works. Oh, my God. All right. All right. Yeah, you're, uh, that, that, that's old news, Jillian. That, that was like, I don't know, five years ago or something that Perl 6 I came out. I can't keep up renamed. on all this stuff, all right? There's a lot of things. There's so many things to keep up with. So what are you guys working on? I guess in Julian, Jillian is... Machine learning, Jonathan, Bill. Uh, machine learning might be a bit of a stretch. More, it's more like data. I mean, it's straight up data analytics. It's okay, done. Yeah, exactly. Data, data science. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, data science. We'll say that. What yes, I, I do blockchain. You, you blockchain, yeah. 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 What about crypto? Can crypto. you get me? Can you get me the good deals on the crypto? <laughs> oh man, I've, I've, I can, I can put you in on all the shill coins. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks, Yeah, just send me your credit card number, and I won't even bother you with the pesky details. Ah, <laughs> oh, thanks. That sounds legit. And then you'll use AI, right, to, like, automate my bids or whatever the hell it's called in crypto, right? So that then I don't even, I don't have to do anything. The AI will just make me my money. Oh, absolutely. The AI in yeah. crypto? Okay. Yeah, just, um, just put your credit card number in chat GPT and tell it to invest in crypto and my credit card? I don't need to like remortgage my house or anything. This is great. <laughs> what a steal. That comes later. <laughs> after months, after the credit card. That's you can't make the payment. It's like step two. <laughs> uh, so the question is, what are we doing? Um, I, I, what do I do? What do I do? What do you, you do, I mean, the answer could be nothing. For all I know. On the podcast. I, I guess I, I think I could call myself a fractional gopher. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that it? Is that I it? Really do like is that a new term? I like I like that that moniker. I need a an image for it. So I I do uh, freelance Go development uh, for for people who are willing to pay me. Basically, hashtag hire me. I'm available. <laughs> yeah, fractional gopher. That, that makes it sound better than like 
part-time freelancer, right? Oh, much better. <laughs> Being a part-time freelancer is the best, though. I don't want to work full-time. I'm too lazy for that. Like, what, I don't are we just talking full- about being lazy on this show? I don't mind working full-time, just not for the same client. I don't work full like. I want. I want to work like You're a freelancer. You don't have like, to work full-time. Like four, why are you working full-time? Clients. That's why, that's why it's fractional, right? But then, but then, is the sum still full-time? Might be. It might not be. Depends. Yeah. Depends on okay. how much I enjoy it. How many clients I have at the moment? Right now, I'm working about seventy percent, probably. You know, seventy percent of the hours of, of the day, the or what? Seventy, like of a forty-hour week, I'm probably working. Well, if if you're talking like actual client work, probably like sixty percent. But I do other work, like my YouTube channel and my podcast and this recording, that is you know work-related, but isn't paid client work. So, how much time do you spend on on your YouTube channel, Victor? That's impossible to answer. Um, it depends. So there is a work of... <laughs> have a spine. There is a work answer. of trying to figure out wrong. something, right? Uh, and that depends on whether I already spent years with that something or I'm just curious about something I had never tried before and so on and so forth. So there is that investigation part, which can be really anything. It depends, right? Uh, sometimes I work... There, there are videos that I've been working on material itself figuring it out, combining things for weeks, right? Um, and then there is uh, writing a script that's very fast. I, I Most of the time, I never write scripts. I just talk about stuff. Um, and then there is the worst part is editing. Uh, editing a video, writing animation, sound, and stuff like that. That I've been doing myself, but for a while now, uh, I have an agency that does that. So uh, my work is drastically reduced now. I did that myself for the first year or so. I, I, intentionally, I knew I didn't want to do it forever, but I wanted to learn enough that I could have an intelligent conversation about it and know what pain I was putting my editor through when I asked him to you know, put special effects or whatever. Yeah, in my case, the let's say 30, 40 minutes video would be probably hour and a half of material. Or maybe two, and at least a full day editing. Oh. At least sounds pretty similar to mine. Oh, yeah, editing is not fun. I mean, it is initially, but not when it becomes a chore. And Agreed. especially since, in my case, it's a hobby, right? So it's not my day job. It's not uh, something that I can pour days into, mm-hmm. anyways. Agreed. So, how often do you come up with a new video then? Uh, so every Monday is a video, but then mm, every Wednesday with my ex-colleague Darin, there is a podcast episode on a different place. Mm-hmm. And then every Friday that I'm not traveling, there is a live stream, uh, again, on a third channel. So cool. right on. That's a lot. That is a lot. Yeah, I'm impressed. I mean, you know, the the podcast itself and that live stream, that's easy. That's oh yeah. Those almost so all easy. the work is the work while it's happening, right? So there is not work no work before that. Uh I mean Darin the, the ex colleague, he does the preparation and stuff like that. So I'm I'm like like a Barbie. I just appear. Hey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's and he does the editing of the yeah, the, the podcast itself editing is is horrible, but 
I, I'm not doing it. He's he's in charge of that. So those two are not really a problem. Um, it's similar similar time investment like this, right? Uh, hey, let's come and talk. Agreed. Uh, yeah. The Monday video. That's that's at least excluding the figuring it out part. It's it's probably like one full day a week or two. Do you think the YouTube channel has been good for your career? Like, have you so have you always had the same job since you started, or do you think like having YouTube channel maybe helped bump you up a level or anything like that? Like, what are your kind of thoughts on YouTube channel versus career? Do they complement one another? Are they diametrically opposed? Because you might say something on air that could potentially piss off a potential (laughs) employer, you know, all this kind of stuff. No, I do that all the time. So that's that's, that's their problem, (laughs) not mine. Not my problem. It's just day to day. If you have a problem with something I said, then deal with it. Don't don't call me. <laughs> Better to know now than after you hired me, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, it definitely helps. Now, I'm not sure how much that is YouTube. I also speak in a lot of conferences. Um, I work with a lot of open source projects one way or another. So a lot of, most of what I do one way or another is public. So I cannot pinpoint what is YouTube and what is other stuff, but it definitely helps uh, having visible CV in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's the reason why I always advise people, especially young, when they ask me, "Hey, what should I do? What's 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 the what's the advice for for my career?" And my answer is always open source, right? Uh, I I I don't really want to see any more CVs where everybody's lying. We know that kind of like everybody <laughs> exaggerates on their CVs, <laughs> and I have no way to figure out how much of that is true and how much is not. Show me your GitHub user, kind of. That's all I want to know. Mm-hmm. That's all I care about, right? Or if you have some 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 other public something that I can I can feel how you think, what you do, and stuff like that. That's as as well valid. But I think it's very useful to have public profile. Let's say one way or another. It doesn't have to be your face. I absolutely agree. It's something I'm always encouraging people to do. Work in public to simplify. Whether it's yeah. a GitHub or a blog or just whatever you're comfortable with, let people see what you're doing. Exactly, and you know if you do it right, if if you do it that way, then you're likely going to get into the position that you're you're not chasing jobs; jobs find you. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, quite a few of both my current and previous companies. Uh, very often we would hire somebody, hey, actually, you're contributing to the project we're interested in, right? Or, or in the area we're interested in, kind of, I, I find you, kind of, I contact you instead of you chasing uh, uh, the same some experience. Two, year, two or three years ago, I think it was three years ago, right before COVID, actually, um, someone reached out, said, hey, I'm using your open source project in our, in our code. Would you uh, come work for us? So I, I worked there for a year. And then I uh, had another client said, hey, we found you on Stack Overflow. You're one of the top answers in a question we were asking. Would you uh, come work for us? So yeah, just work work in public. Let people exactly. know that you're smart and that you're available. And that's probably all it takes sometimes. Yeah. And fortunately, more and more companies are pretty okay with that. I mean, almost every company these days does something in public, right? Mm-hmm. You will even go to a conference and then somebody from a bank comes and talks about something. So kind of even even the types of companies who were completely closed and secretive and nothing gets in, nothing gets out are, are really almost encouraging people now to go public. Yeah. 
I mean, they might as well. All of our data has been hacked and exposed anyway. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Facebook That's one way to do all. it. Right. <laughs> so when you do your live streams, um, what, what's the content like there? Is that actual problem solving or is that more freeform thought stream? So live stream, uh, that's, we're doing it Friday. Uh, Darin spends some time figuring out things that uh, happened throughout the week and are interesting. Either new projects or um, new releases of something and things like that. And then we, we just go through it, right? Kind of like, good, great. Oh, makes no sense type of stuff, right? So uh, think of it like tech news in a way, but more focused or mostly focused on projects. So do you consider yourself to be um, a DevOps engineer or what's your view on DevOps? I think that DevOps engineer is the silliest thing that anybody ever invented. <laughs> I think it makes no sense. And I I encourage people to... so. This is going to be contradictory. I think that there is no such thing as DevOps engineer, and I will explain in a second. And at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging everybody to put DevOps engineer in their CV because it pays better than anything else. It pays better than sysadmin. It pays better than whatever other uh, professions we have. So go for it, even though it doesn't exist. It pays better, right? Um, there you go. I mean, that's exactly what go. I did. That's why I changed. That's why I changed my title. It's so power to you. Kind of like everybody should be DevOps engineer. If that means bumping salary, go for it. Right. Now, outside of that, the way I see DevOps is we are trying to join development and operational experience mostly for the sake of having self-sufficient teams. Right. I want this team to be in charge of this application. And when I mean in charge of this application, I don't mean you're capable of writing Node.js code and then you have no idea what's going on after that. I mean, there is an idea and the next thing I want to hear about it is it's running in production and you're doing all that, right? Being self-sufficient. And in a way, I see DevOps as continuation of what we started a long time ago with Agile, right? Agile, in a way, had those same ideas. Hey, how about testers and developers not being uh, two separate departments that throw stones to each other, but how about you work together in the same team and figure it out, right? And then we're going to put this, I don't know, project manager, how was the scrum master or whatever, kind of like we're going to put additional few roles and there you go, right? And you can now go, you do not, need to wait for anybody to make a uh, release a new feature or whatever it is, right? That sped up things completely, except even though it was never said explicitly like that, in practice, agile teams completely forgot that there is everybody else, right? Kind of, there is Joe sitting in a basement and you're opening Jira tickets and you say, oh, I'm finished. My sprint is done. And nobody knows when it will get to production. Nobody knows whether it works. You just know that you tested something locally and that you're finished writing your feature. That's silly, right? And DevOps, at least from my perspective, tries to fix that kind of, okay, we're going to put a new name. We're going to call it DevOps. uh, And we know that people are going to abuse it and we're going to have DevSecOps and AIOps and what's or not ops. 
But the point is that we can create those self-sufficient teams, right? There, there are a lot of works outside of those teams that needs to happen for those teams to be successful. So it's not just, here's a credit card, go to AWS, do your stuff. It's not that. But it is about making teams self-sufficient, right? Now, what would be the role in DevOps engineer in that case? I honestly don't know. To me, that sounds the same as agile engineer, which nobody invented. <laughs> I'm inventing it now, 20 years later. So go, go, go for it. But it will not pay better. So actually don't do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and the problem we have very often is that some terms are very loosely defined. Nobody knows what DevOps engineer is. So everybody is DevOps engineer and everybody's abusing it, including me. Look at the, I have a channel called DevOps Toolkit. So, uh, but then we have roles that are much better defined, right? We actually do know what is an SRE, right? We do know what is a DBA. We do know what is... I was about to say we do know what is platform engineering, but I mm. think that we are going in a wrong direction on that one as well. But yeah. So I forgot your question. I don't know what I'm answering, to be honest. But there is no DevOps engineer. Shouldn't be. So why do you think we're going in the wrong direction with platform engineering? <clears throat> so we are creating, most companies are now, it's very popular. It's very, everybody wants internal developer platforms. It's a big thing. And companies are forming teams and say, this is platform engineering team. Two, one person, two people, five, ten, right? Depending on the size company. And you're going to create a platform that going that is going to have all the capabilities so that people can get things and manage things and do things at the right level of abstraction, right? So, hey, you're an application developer, you need a database, you don't need to worry about VPC subnets and this and that, right? You can click this button, fill in those five fields, you get the database, and we will give you the statuses and what's not. That's amazing, right? Now, where it fails is that it fails for the same reasons why we need platform in the first place, right? And that is that uh, you cannot have a team that knows everything, right? And we need a platform so that people do not have to spend seven years with Kubernetes and three, 37 years with AWS and I don't know how much. We need platforms that will simplify things. Now, if you have a platform engineering team, that means that that team knows everything. So you are an expert database administrator. You know networking inside out. You know storage inside out. You know uh, everything else, right? There is no such team. It doesn't exist. And it will never exist, and it will exist even less in the future because things are becoming even more complex, not less. The best that DevOps, uh, sorry, not DevOps, platform engineers, if there is such a thing, can do is create a scaffold, create a baseline where experts can convert their knowledge into services, right? So I can create maybe some some standard API, something that you can extend in a way how you're going to plug in those services, create a scaffold in a way. But then I need you, dear database administrator, and I'm using DBA as example, right? That applies to any other role. I need you to actually convert your knowledge. You know, the things you do when you get a Jira ticket and I get it back three weeks later, I need you to convert that experience into a service and plug that service into that platform so that others can do the things 
without opening jury tickets and waiting for you, right? But I need that expert. I cannot assume, at least in more complex systems, that there are five people who know everything. Because if I make that assumption, then I don't need a platform in the first place. For sure, yeah. Selling things to developers is so terrible too. Like if you want it to be like in the business of, you know, creating platforms for the engineering team, it's just, it's the worst. It's the worst. It's awful. The worst thing you can do is create a platform, uh, no matter how we do it, and then mandate that it is is obligatory, it's mandatory for people to use it. That's that's when you get get I mean, no, no, that's the best way to get everybody to use it because it's of, because it's mandatory. And then, but it's the best way to get everybody to hate you. Right? It's the best way to be that person that comes before anybody else to the office. Because if you come when people are there, they're going to see you and throw stones at you. Right? Uh, <laughs> start whistling. Go out, go away. Uh, the best way to actually do it is to treat it as, uh, I think that actually every group, whatever somebody is doing should be treated as, as business. Meaning that I have this thing. You can use it or not. It's up to you. Right. Hey, if you think that you can do it better without my help, go ahead. Right. And if I do something that is horrible and doesn't fulfill your needs, you're not forced to use it. Right. I will have a clear signal that I failed. I misunderstood what my customers need and you are my customer. When I say customer, I don't mean necessarily to give me direct money, right? But you are a customer of that something. I need to fulfill your needs. And the only way I can do that is through feedback. And I will never get the valid feedback if I force you to use it, right? Have you read the book, Team Topologies? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> they talk about platform engineering in there. Uh, do, do you disagree with their their take on that? Or they talk about a platform team, I think, is the terminology they use. You need to remind me on the take because it's been years mm-hmm. since I read it and I'm too old to remember things I did last week. <laughs> so now you're going to re- force me to remember something I read years ago. <laughs> you you started it. I intentionally didn't so, bring top team topologies into the mix. Intentionally, okay. Uh, so <laughs> Because I don't remember it anymore. Oh, okay, okay. I remember that I like the book. So they have, they have four... Uh, sort of team archetypes. The streamline team, which is the main one, uh, an enabling team, a complicated system sub, uh, subsystem team, and a platform team. Um, now, I, I've actually had a recent conversation uh, via Slack with uh, um, uh, Matthew, I think, uh, one of the co-authors of the book, uh, where he was talking about they're actually changing the name platform team in their current uh, work. And they're, I can't remember the term they're using, but there's so much confusion around this that they had a very specific uh, use of platform team that has been sort of co-opted by the, the world, sort of the way DevOps has been or Agile has been. So I, I think he probably agrees with you, uh, at least in large part. Um, but the, the idea in the book, if I, if I can remember correctly, is to, you know, the platform team uh, gives an, a, a facade to another team to, to do a thing. Um, so, you know, if, if the other team doesn't care what database is there, whether it's MySQL or Postgres or, or Mongo or whatever, then, you know, maybe the platform team can abstract that away and give them an API or whatever to do the things they're doing. Um, and I, I think that goes back to what you just said about, you know, sort of treat everything, you know, whatever team you're on 
act as though you're a business and you have customers and you're trying to serve those customers. So um, anyway, if you, if you don't remember the details of the book, then I won't press you too hard on it. But um, yeah, but what th- you just described is I think you're very similar to what I'm thinking exactly. Ultimate, I, I like to simplify it even more. Everybody should be creating service that is consumed by somebody. It's as easy as that. Doesn't matter. Your security, excellent. Create a service. Don't don't send me an Excel sheet with five thousand uh, vulnerabilities that will never be fixed. Create a service. Make it make it. I don't know. Make a pull request that I need to accept. Right. Figure out how I can be secure by consuming your work. Right. To me, and again, I'm using security as example. Mm-hmm. Everybody creates a service. Nobody forces anybody to use something because that that kills innovation. And go. Yeah, the way I think about it is my job, I consider my job to be putting in guardrails and then getting out of the way. So if someone wants to utilize the the service that I'm providing, I put in guardrails so that they can do anything they want except something that they don't know they want to do, like expose the database to the public internet. So I just want to put in the guardrails in place so that they can't get off course. And then aside from that, they're free to do whatever they they need to do to consume that service. I don't want to tell them how I, they need to use it. I don't want to tell, I want to keep them from using it in ways that they don't know that they don't want to use. I'd like to explain a simple situation uh, with the knowledge of bowling. Um, I have I have a daughter, she's 13 now, but when she was younger, right, uh, we would go bowl and I would lift the rails for her, right? The, those are those rails that hey, you cannot go left. Or, I mean, that's, that's, that's where the ball can, can, can go, right? Uh, and uh, I would bring her, uh, it's kind of a slide, like for children's slides, but where you can put the ball on top and then it goes down and, mm-hmm. you know, down the... so. And I give her that, right? That's my solution how you can be effective at bowling at that age. Now, you're not, you don't have to use it. I never said you must use it, right? It's your choice. You can throw the ball any way you like. This is my solution for that, which you can use or not. And there are guardrails that prevent you from dying, doing something extremely bad. That is the and hardest lesson of parenting to learn. I wasn't trying to talk over you, but like just letting your kids like be like, here's the guardrail. You can use them or not use them. Um, and then letting no, no. them walk away is is the worst. All right. It's, my daughter's 12. It is the worst Actually, lesson ever. Very hard. Guardrails were, were mandatory, but the, the slide w- wasn't. That's optional. That was, you can use it, right? And then eventually they grow up. Now she's 13. Now she's... She doesn't need guard. I feel that she doesn't need guardrails, so there are no guardrails anymore. You and I are very different parents because I absolutely feel that there needs to be guardrails everywhere, <laughs> all the time. Nope, like whatever it is, I'm just like, no, nope, don't do that. You're gonna, you're gonna die. Where's your helmet? You know, like just all the time, always, always. Yeah, no, there are always some guardrails. I mean, even for adults, right? You have to put a seatbelt when you drive. I found your earlier point about like there shouldn't be DevOps engineers to be really interesting because it articulated kind of an idea that's been floating around in my head where, you know, sometimes I'm dealing with like the young people and they're like, oh, this DevOps thing, that seems, you know, that seems like a great gig. How do I learn that? And I'm like, I don't know, because I feel like like DevOps is not like my primary job, especially not recently. It's like I do bioinformatics 
and I apply some DevOps principles to that so that I can do a better job, you know, providing support for my scientists. And I feel like pretty much all the guests we've had, I know you guys have sort of a, a similar idea where it's like you do something that's your actual core skill set and you just you kind of just throw the DevOps is like the icing on the cake there. It's not like the real, it's not the real core competency, I don't think. DevOps isn't a competency know, in the first place. Hmm? DevOps is not a competency in the first place. I mean, can we not It's just a agile is not, right? It's a very, it's a yeah. cultural change. I mean, so the way I oversimplify it is I, I say that DevOps is synonymous with cooperation. Mm. So, you know, it, it, in other words, if you have a sentence with the word DevOps in it, if you can put cooperation or collaboration in its place and it still makes sense, it, it might actually be talking about DevOps. If it doesn't make sense, like co- collaboration engineer, then it's bullshit. Uh, and it's not DevOps. But then I have very often question from younger people, you know, start students or just finished. Can you advise me how to become a DevOps engineer? Yes, I hear that all the time. Okay, I'm going to play with it first. I'm I'm not going to tell you that there is no such thing as DevOps engineer. Let's let's play the role kind of. Mm -hmm. Okay, there is a DevOps engineer, right? And DevOps engineer is managing everything. Your production, your service, your clusters, your networking, your CI pipelines, everything, right? And does that make sense? And yeah, it makes sense. Excellent. Excellent. And you have zero experience in any of those things. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yes. Why don't you pick one? I don't care which one. Pick one. And then a year later, pick another one. Mm-hmm. And then maybe, uh, and I'm still playing as if there is a such a thing as DevOps engineer as a person who does absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then 10 years later or 20 years or 175 years later, you say, okay, now I'm DevOps engineer. Cool. Go with it, right? It gives you higher salary. But you cannot have expectation that you are managing all aspects of everything. And that would be your starting Point. Now, that's how I start my career. It's too soon, if there is such a thing, and there isn't. Okay, but I, I thought you were supposed to have an answer for everything. So, like, if somebody comes to you and, like, I want to be a DevOps engineer, should I, use, should I learn Kubernetes, or should I learn, uh, or should I, should I learn AWS or Google Cloud? I'll learn Docker What's the answer? First. What? Docker. The answer is learn Docker. Yeah, but that, that's after uh, that's one hour. Okay, let's let's talk about after that one hour. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know. You have to learn about like shared storage and ports no. and building okay, containers going to and different park. projects. And then, you know, and then in data science, we like to reinvent the wheel for absolutely everything. So no. instead of just having a make file with Docker build, we have to like combine it with Jupyter Hub and Why would you have a make file? Of course we do. So even Docker, Docker is a company gave up on Docker running in production. Nobody should be using Docker in production. It's just silly. It's not going anywhere. That's why we have Kubernetes and many other things today, right? Docker is useful on your laptop, right? To build images, maybe run containers because you were too lazy to get a Helm chart of the same application running in production, right? So there is a very limited scope of what makes sense to do with Docker. And it's great, right? But even Docker as a company is focusing only and exclusively on developer experience on your laptop, right? What happens after that? It's not Docker. So you don't need to relearn Docker Compose. There is, there is no good reason for it, right? Share storage and this and that, no good reason for it. Uh, but it just teaches you the concept. Okay, you and I are going to have to agree to disagree on this one because I think learning oh no, about Docker, Docker Compose, yeah, that's right. 
we finally have some drama on the show. It's what I've been waiting for. But I mean, it does do a good job with like teaching, you know, teaching the young people like the concepts, because if you understand Docker Compose and like how that works and you can run it on your laptop for free, if you have a laptop, you basically understand the way that a Kubernetes cluster. Works. Yes, absolutely true. But not at the very beginning, because I had real trouble explaining real benefits of Docker to people back in the Docker golden days, right? When we were hoping to run it in production. Uh, and the reason why I had trouble explaining that is because you need to have certain level of experience that led you to experience certain level of pain. And, with, and then you understand why this is good, right? Because realistically, if you never experience the pain of running something right, and packaging that something and stuff like that. Okay, I, I can just execute, I don't know, whatever is the Python command uh, to run this, right? Kind of like, if I, if I can just run it, my first contact, uh, today I've learned how to run Python code or whatever. Docker is not giving me anything, right? It's not giving me advantage. Because w- w- why is it better to run in a container instead of just running it right now? Like, go run, dot, right? No real benefit, but once you get certain experience and say, okay, now I understand. Okay, so ah, it's running on different servers and it's uh, it needs to be somehow packaged. It needs to be stored somewhere so that it can be retrieved from somewhere else and isolation and namespaces and all this stuff. Kind of, okay, oh, okay. That's why it's so good, right? That's why everybody jumped on it. But with everything, I feel that there is a certain prerequisite knowledge doesn't have to be prerequisite, right? Everything can be learned at any point, but it helps a lot to understand what we had before, what is the pain that we were experiencing, and then why, and, and that explains why we want this, right? The same thing like with Kubernetes, right? Why is Kubernetes better than Docker Compose? Well, if you never run a production with multiple nodes, um, a larger cluster and stuff like that, and you not it never happened to you that the node goes down, and then you start screaming at, at at your colleagues and stuff like that. Docker Compose makes much more sense than Kubernetes, right? I mean, and I'm using one example. There are a thousand other reasons why it is. Um, so it, it goes kind of gradually. I think historically, kind of, uh, I kick you in, kick you first. You say, "Oh, this hurts." Okay, and then then I give you a band aid, right? I don't give you a bandaid before you before I kick you because what, what do they do with this? Do they put it on top of my eye, kind of so that I look like one one eye Joe or something? No. So I, I have a. I'm not sure if I disagree with you or not. Um, like I, I think I like fighting, so please disagree. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I completely please disagree do. with you. Let me explain why. Um, I, I, although I absolutely do agree that the best way to learn something is to experience the pain first, and then you know why you should resolve it. But you know, I've I've been I'm I'm in my forties. I've spent close to thirty years experiencing this pain and learning these lessons. If everybody has to go through that same experience to become a good developer, we're doomed. Or to become oh, yeah. a good platform engineer or DevOps or whatever. You know, if everybody has to go through that, uh, you know, it's it's gonna take thirty years for people to be as good as me. And I think that's sad and, and not necessary. Like I uh, hopefully, I can teach the people, um, whatever they are, you know, here's the pain that Docker solves or that Kubernetes solves or or, or why you need to do whatever thing you're doing. Um, and, you know, yes, 
the best lessons are learned through personal experience. But if we can avoid that and get there shorter and quicker, isn't that better? Of course it is. And there is definitely... So I, I do still stand that it's better to experience the pain, but that does not mean that we have to be experiencing it in, uh, as, as we were experiencing it in real time in the past, right? Okay. I spent years on, on, uh, on building my own Linux distributions, right? Me too. When, yeah. when Linux distributions were kind of like silly. Uh, and I don't mean that, hey, okay, so first you spend five years building Linux distributions so that you understand why is it good to have this distribution given to you out of the box. Of course, I don't mean that, right? Uh, maybe we can pass through that phase in, in, five seconds or five minutes or five hours or five days or five weeks. I don't know. But definitely you don't need to experience. It's not like one, one-to-one relation. Hey, if I spend seven years, you need to do it as well. Of course not, right? Uh, and there are some things that you can skip as well. Uh, like there is probably no good reason why somebody starting today would go through absolutely everything. Like um, what, are you going to set, create your own data center just to understand how cloud is better? No. Right? Uh, that would bankrupt you, uh, <laughs> or 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 it's not better, whichever explanation you want. Uh, so, no, I definitely don't think that we should spend equal amount of time. But there is, let's forget about pain. Let's say that there is some prerequisite knowledge that can be obtained through some duration, whatever that is, that helps a lot understanding something else. Right? Do we disagree still, or? Oh, I think I think we're on the same page. Ah. It wasn't the fight. Okay, come, 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 come with something. <laughs> come with something contradictory. <laughs> okay, so then, um, which cloud platform, GCP or AWS? GCP. What? We, no. even, we even agree on that. AWS. No, no way. Listen, AWS has omics, and I really like omics. So, so it. It wins. If this wouldn't be live, I would ask for your sexual preferences. Try to understand whether you're a masochist, whether you're a masochist, or just just not. Kind of how much of pain do you like? Uh, I don't like much pain. I, I have very low tolerance for pain, so I, I prefer GCP. Uh, joking aside, the the thing that is a bit frustrating. So. The good thing about AWS is that you can make it be almost anything. You have much more flexibility in AWS than with any other provider, right? And if that's what you truly need, I think it's great. But it's so low level that more often than not, I'm frustrated. Like, to create a uh, managed Kubernetes cluster in AWS, right? What do you need? You need EKS. You need one or more node groups. You need subnets. You need VPCs. You need route tables. You need the Internet Gateway and so on and so forth. At least 15 different components need to be assembled to have something that just runs, kind of like, I'm not even trying to make it great. I just make trying to make it run somehow, right? In Google Cloud, GKE, what do you have? You have a GKE cluster and the node group, two things. That's it. Yeah, and to add on to that, I think... Um... One of the frustrating things about AWS is you need all those components or all those products, but then when you try to put those products together, it's like it's the very first time that those two products have ever seen each other. <laughs> it's like, wait, this is a requirement. How does it not know that I'm trying to do this with it? Exactly. And 
just to make it clear, that does not make uh, necessarily AWS worse or better than Google Cloud. It's more about understanding, right? What you get with each. With AWS, you get flexibility that you don't get anywhere else, right? You, it's so low level. You need to assemble it. It's painful. It takes time, but you can make it be something very unique to you. And the question is, how you, how unique are you? Some people are unique. I mean, needs of some companies are very unique. Needs of majority of companies are not unique. I just need a Kubernetes cluster. That's what I need. Don't give me all that, right? So it, it depends uh, on the needs. But if you're not a masochist, Google Cloud. Keep that in mind. I've never actually used Google Cloud, so I can't even really argue this effectively. Don't, because if you are working with AWS uh, in, in your company, wherever you're working, I strongly suggest never to try Google Cloud. Because if you try it, your life would be miserable. Then I'll be ruined, huh? I'll just be we like, look a... at how much better things are over there. Will and I did a recent episode about this, didn't we? We did, yeah. Will uh, accidentally tried Google Cloud and said he's never going back or, or something like that. I don't remember. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I, I tried Google Cloud and and I I had been an AWS proponent for since the early days of AWS. And then I tried GCP and every day since then, my disappointment with AWS has compounded. <laughs> <laughs> Unless AWS wants to sponsor us, then of course we all love AWS. Oh, the right? It's the easiest. They keep sending me money. Like, what else can I do at this point? I'm about to be like, mm, guys, you know, my, uh, what is that guy? My AWS rep, he keeps, he keeps giving me money and I really, I really like getting that money. So we can't even that on the show. This is you know what? The, the feature I miss the most in AWS is something equivalent to Google Project or Azure Resource Group. That's the thing I, I miss the most, right? You create something and then eventually you want to destroy that something and you need probably to spend more time chasing what that something is <laughs> and, and all the stuff. And, and it's not even enough, even if you use something like infrastructure as code, right? And say, oh, no, 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 no. I defined exactly what I need and that, those are the things I'm going to destroy. But you will realize that that's not the case because some storage is, let's say that to keep the same theme, that's a Kubernetes cluster. Yeah, you will destroy all those VPCs and subnets and EKS and Node Group. But then you will realize that a bunch of storage st- storages were created by your applications. And that's dangling somewhere over there. And there are some elastic load balances created. And that's also dangling somewhere over there, right? And you will realize that, that, that that's still there only after you receive a bill. Mm-hmm. Right, right, and maybe yeah, not even that. Balancers are twenty bucks a month. That's highway robbery. AWS. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here to argue about that. Why are they twenty? Why? Why are they twenty dollars a month each? I just, I need to know why. Because it's better to earn more than less. Well, right. I mean, that's and, fair. Uh, I, I too like to price so, catch people. Like, I suppose I can't complain. Yeah, but you know, if kind of like if you have the most more m- biggest market share right now. Uh, and people are not leaving. You're just actually just as well increasing your market share. Kind of like you have no incentive to make it cheaper. Why would you? I wouldn't. 
So here's the big question is, um, does AWS have market share because they're billing people for resources that they don't know they're still being charged for? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's it. Just if it's good enough for Wells Fargo. <laughs> right. I, I mean, have a cluster now that's costing me like $600 a month and I'm not not that sure why, but unless it gets to like over a thousand, I'm just not even like, I'm just not really that motivated to go yeah, figure out, like to go do the detective work of like, yeah, why, why does this cost so much? Like, I don't know, but am I really going to spend a day chasing it down? No. All right. Maybe that's how they make their money. <laughs> I mean, but it is, and that's equally valid for, for all crowd cloud providers. The biggest turning is in, in what you don't use. I recently shut down. Most companies end up having, you know, servers that have like 20% utilization. Nobody knows why uh, and things like that. That's very common. That's why if you look at uh, startups and uh, investments and stuff like that, you will see that one of the very common themes now is uh, our startups uh, that are focused on cost reduction, right? I'm going to charge you significant seven digits or six or seven digits for my product that will, that all it does is reduce your costs. Yeah, you know, so I'm building either, I'm not sure if it's going to be a SaaS or like another productized service. It depends on how I want to market it, I suppose. Uh, and I'm going almost all with like hosted services because clearly I could go build all the things on AWS, right? I could spin up a Kubernetes cluster. I could do the damn, you know, Helm charts with the, certificates and the external DNS and the storage and all the things, or, or I could just go pay some company like 30 bucks a month and they're going to host, you know, like for 30 bucks a month, Superbase will host my um, database for $50. Retool will host my UI for, I don't, I don't remember how much SendGrid is, but it's like, well, I could go build all that stuff on AWS. I'm not even really that convinced I would actually save money because, again, there's probably going to be something on there that I have forgotten about at some point, like my cluster that is costing me $500. And I have no idea why, and it really shouldn't be. Or or I could just go with the hosted servers. Although I still love you, AWS, and um, I still hope you continue to throw (laughs) cash at me, please. Please don't make me pay my own bills. I hate that. Well, alrighty then. Anything else we should battle over? I think we should do some picks. I don't think so, no. All right. Let's do some picks. Jonathan, kick us off with a pick. Okay. While you do that, I'll explain to Victor what picks are because I forgot to share that before I smashed the record button. So at the end of every episode, we we pick something to share with the audience that's um, just something cool we want to share, whether it's a book or a movie or... um, a podcast episode or a pair of socks, just any random thing at all that you think is cool that you just want to tell someone about. Oh, oh, it could be techie okay. or not. It doesn't, it, it could doesn't be a Google Cloud platform if you want, but it doesn't have to be. <laughs> it could be AWS <laughs> or, if you want, <laughs> or your YouTube channel. Yeah, I mean, I assume mm-hmm. Pix is not kind of selling you my stuff. And oh, it, it usually is. It usually <laughs> is. It, it is. I mean, everybody should do a bit okay. of shame okay. Like, one of then us I will pick it if you don't. I don't have to think about it. Then, yeah, you should all adopt Crossplane. There you go. It's the, it's the most... It's one of... Actually, it's one of the... Within CNCF landscape, it's one of the most popular projects right now. So, what, what is it? Me. Crossplane. Explain what it is. So, um... Now, first, before I explain what it is, I must explain what Kubernetes is not. 
Okay. Um, <laughs> walk, walk, walk me through the pain that it's going to solve. <laughs> yeah, will do as well. So um, the first implementation, let's say, of Kubernetes was, uh, hey, I can run containers. I can. This it's a thing that allows me to run containers across a number of nodes, right? But that was never the intention of of Crossplane. Uh, Crossplane is not, uh, sorry, not Crossplane, Kubernetes. Kubernetes is going to outlive containers, that's certain. Uh, The point of Kubernetes is that it is aiming to be an industry standard extensible API, right? You can extend Kubernetes API to do whatever you want it to do. And you have projects like KubeVirt that allows you to extend Kubernetes API to manage virtual machines, right? It can be Wasm, it can be containers, and so on and so forth. Now, what we do with Crossplane is take that seriously, and we are extending Kubernetes API uh, in two ways. First is uh, with providers. So let's let's say AWS provider. If you install AWS provider, you have uh, in AWS itself has close to one thousand uh, API endpoints that you can use directly with CURL. Uh, oh, and we create one thousand CRDs in Kubernetes, meaning API extensions, and then you can basically communicate with Kubernetes API to manage your AWS resources. I'm using it as an example, right? And then there is something we call compositions, which enables you to create a new interface yourself, let's say a database, because we mentioned it before, right? Okay, so this is an interface for the database. Uh, you have fields, database type, like Postgres or MySQL version or whatever, right? This is the interface that is at the right level of abstraction for you, and then you decide what's behind the scenes, what will what will happen. Oh, if you select AWS and Postgres, I'm going to create VPCs and manage uh, subnets and the RDS and what's not. So it's a way how to group resources that are managed by Kubernetes and then abstract them into, into a service uh, that anybody cons- can consume, right? It goes more or less into a platform that we spoke before. Awesome. Or if you want a simple version that it's it's an it's what comes after Terraform. And the reasons why, and then with all that, we have, you know, drift detection, reconciliation, all the good things that for which people are or are not adopting Kubernetes that equally applies to crossplane. All right. Well, I guess I'm ready. I thought I was gonna pick a book, but I, I changed my mind. Um I'm gonna pick two things. First, um, since we've been talking about the best language in the world, which is Go, I'm going to pick my YouTube channel, Boldly Go. Um, I do a weekly live stream on Mondays also, which uh, is a lot of fun. Uh, the other thing I'm picking is my wife and I are recently watching old TV shows. And so I'm picking The X-Files. Uh, my wife is really enjoying this show. Uh, I, I watched it back when it was new. Um, you know how old that show is? I feel old. 93, I think, was the first season, or 92. Um, Yeah, I'm really old now. I have a question then for you. Mm -hmm. Is it it still good? Because very often, uh, every once in a while, I watch something that I really liked when I was young. Right. No, and then you get disappointed. You watch the the first uh, season of Star Trek and say, "Uh, E.T., Alf, oh, 
Ooh, right. just like that for me. I, I feel well. violated. No kind of right. <laughs> so is it? And some some survive. Some some are good. So that's my question. Is it still good? That's a great question. Um, yes, it it it's a very different style of TV than we have now. I mean, it's very episodic. There there is an overall story that happen that develops over the seasons. Uh, but generally speaking, each episode is self-contained. Same as like Star Trek, the old Star Treks. Um, but for the most part, it's still pretty good. I mean, like it, it's it's kind of like, um, I don't know. I, I guess I would kind of describe it as um, Stranger Things for grown-ups. <laughs> a little bit less uh, gory um, and a little more uh, adult, you know. Um, you know, if, if if CSI met Stranger Things, that's kind of what X Files is like. If if you're too young to have watched it before, so yeah, I, I think it's still good. All right, cool. Jillian, what have you got for us? Uh, so I got distracted by thinking about TV and X Files, but um, but like I was saying earlier, I'm building a new SaaS or productized service. I'm not exactly sure yet what it's going to be. And one of the things that I wanted to do was be lazy and do as little work as possible and do literally uh, as little development as possible. No hosting, no infrastructure, no nothing. And part of the idea with that is that, you know, maybe someday I'll sell it to some biotech company or maybe AWS will throw a bunch of money at me to just go away. Like that's always, that is always what I hope for, by the way, is that some company will just, you know, throw me enough money to go away. Um, If anybody views me as competition and would like that to happen, let's talk. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so anyways, so I've been like kind of evaluating some of these, you know, low code hosted services. And I have a couple of them that I really like. I really like it's called Supabase for databases. And it's uh, it's like a Postgres database with a bunch of extensions. They give you an API. They give you a pretty nice like web editor. Uh, they host it. It's I think it starts at like $30 a month or something like that, which is which is fine for me because this is not going to be like a, you know, like a data heavy kind of application. Um, and they also do like encrypted, uh, you can like encrypt your columns and things like that if you need to, which was a requirement for me. And then I was looking at these low code, like UI builders, because I do not do UI and I'm not learning JavaScript again, you guys. Okay. Like this is, this is my line in the sand. I'm not doing it. I've learned it so many times. I learned like but JavaScript is the best Angular language. And Dojo and no, no, it's not. All right. No, it's not. <laughs> And I'm just, I'm not doing it again. So, you know, luckily these platform engineers are out here making these low code tools that I can, that I can just use. And I tried um, AppSmith and BuddyBase. Those are both open source tools. I did, although I think BuddyBase might have some kind of pricing thing in there, whereas AppSmith is like, if you host it yourself, it's completely free. Um, I'm not doing that because, you know, don't want to do work again. But anyways, I, I went, I did look at those two. They were missing a couple features. So I wound up going with retool, which makes me a little bit queasy because it's not open source. And usually I, I really like to be on the open source brigade, but they just, they had a couple features like that. I really like that. I really, really wanted. So I went with them and their pricing is reasonable. Um, and then I guess lastly is AWS Omics, which is like the AWS new completely serverless, infrastructure for running pipelines. So I'm hoping to build a complete end-to-end product without having to host anything, without having to know what network anything is on. I'm not going to know about VPCs. I'm not going to know about subnets. I'm not going to know about any of that, okay? Because I, first of all, I hate networking and I don't have to do it. And I think I can do it all for under $200. And I'm pretty excited about that. 
Two hundred dollars a month. I mean, two hundred dollars. Okay, month. I was about to ask. It could be two hundred dollars a day. Yeah, so, two yeah. two hundred a month, unfortunately. <laughs> um, unless somebody you know is listening to the show and would like to sponsor me for <laughs> all of my all of <laughs> all of my low code needs. I'm always just like on the show, just like trying to like get some money. You know, I have like. Hey, if you want to get sponsorship, like, give me, give me. you don't go cheap. You need to say, this is awesome. I'm spending 10000 a month. I need a sponsor. Uh, I mean, like, I have daughters that like to shop. So that's true for me personally, but maybe it's less true for work because I tend to be a little bit cheap when it comes to work and then want to go on vacation and whatnot. Jillian, you're so, turning into like our, our resident panhandler on this show. Like, hey, can I, I am. can I borrow like some bandwidth? <laughs> <laughs> let me let me just have some extra space on your servers. You've got extra space. I just want a little bit of it. <laughs> hey, y'all have unused space. I think that's every company I've ever worked for has a server somewhere that's like, what does this do? And we're like, well, we don't know, but we're afraid to turn it off. So. <laughs> Hey, if, if if you need if you need a server, I, I'll give you a couple of hundred bucks in Civo. I have credits that I cannot spend. Uh, see, I may go. I may take you up on that. We'll see. Look, this is already working out for me, great, you guys. But, but yeah, I just I think it's really interesting, and I think for anybody these days who's looking to build a project, there was actually a point to that whole spiel. Whereas I was considering building something similar a few years ago. And it was just like, it was just too much. It was too much for one person to do on their own. Um, it was too many things. So I decided, you know, I, I did some other stuff and then I came and revisited it. And I was like, with all these kind of low code and hosted services, I think what I want to do is actually very achievable uh, for less than 200 bucks a month, which is pretty good for like launching a brand new service. And it'll be something interesting because I'm going to get more into like biochemistry and chemical informatics, which is kind of a new field for me. Um, yeah, so that's the pick. I don't even know that I can call myself a DevOps engineer anymore. I'm not doing any DevOpsing, guys. And then uh, my other pick is a more fun pick. It's called The Between. It's uh, it's just, it's a book. I've been reading it. I really like it. It's like a fun kind of witchy, autumn sort of like, you know, Halloween kind of read, I suppose we'll say. Oh, nice. So setting the theme for the show. Yeah, that's right. Always. Cool. So my pick this week, I recently moved. So we had to mount our TVs back on the wall. And I used the USX mount full motion TV wall mount from Amazon. And actually, it was it was pretty cool. Like it's very heavy duty. And it's um, it comes with everything, which was the cool part, like the little screws to mount to the back of the TV and the VESA screw holes it comes with those and then it had the lag bolts to go into the wall um so i just thought it was really well built and really cool so that's my pick for the week and Does i bought it, it from the Amazon. Arm? like can you pivot the tv on the arm or is it just up on the wall no it um it it pivots it'll tilt if you want to tilt it but then it also pulls away from the wall so you can pull it out away from the wall and then turn it left and right too. So you can go pretty much any direction that you want. And then it has these little um, micro adjustments on the back. Cause one of the things that frustrated me is if the TV was like at a one or two degree angle instead of perfectly uh, level, but it's got these little micro screws on the back. So you can just dial it in perfectly 
and then it looks nice on the wall instead of seeing a crooked TV every time you walk in. You want to know how not to be annoyed by the crooked TV? How's that? Have a, have a toddler live in your house and move the TV every day. After about three <laughs> weeks, you stop being annoyed by it. If I have a toddler in my house, my plans have gone horrendously off track. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have to be your toddler. <laughs> Just have some friends over for a while. <laughs> Just a toddler. Okay. Like a rent a toddler. Toddlers are hilarious. <laughs> toddler as a service. Right. <laughs> That's such a good idea though, because like toddlers are my favorite. They are so hilarious. They're just like so cute and ridiculous. There's my new startup. Doing... I'm doing it. Toddler as a service. There you go. There was a dog as a service during COVID. Because uh, at least where I, where I live, uh, you couldn't leave. The, there was a period that you couldn't leave your house mm-hmm. unless for special reasons. And one of the special reasons was to walk the dog. Mm. So uh, <laughs> all the neighbors would share the same dog. That dog ne- was never walked as much as, <laughs> as during COVID. Dog lost 50 pounds. <laughs> right. Probably loved every minute of it. Yeah. Cool. So, Victor, if people want to uh, get in touch with you after the podcast, what's the best way to do that? If you Google my name, Victor Parsik, um, you'll find me. Google YouTube. Uh, I don't know. Anything except I'm I'm not big on social. So, for example, don't go to Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. I don't like, uh, I'm not very social media person. Um, But other than that, I'm easy to find. Cool. Well, thank you for being on the show. This was a great conversation. I liked it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this was fun. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we will see y'all next week.